0: I'm so grateful for us to be able to just speak about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, God. But more than anything, God, I pray that we can be humble right now, God. There are so many things in this world that can throw us off, our pride, whatever it is, God. I pray that we can be humble. Listen to the scriptures. We're going to look at some stories of some humble guys that let their lives be changed, God. I pray that these people can let their lives be changed as well and go all in, God. I pray that we can just be in all of you, Jesus. I pray that we can... To see what you did for us. To see that see the way you went all in for us. God, I pray that that can really change our hearts. And uh, I pray that we can just throw off any preconceived notions we have. God, I pray that we can focus on what the Scriptures say and what the Scriptures say only, God. But I'm so grateful to be here with all these people. God, and I pray all this in your glorious Son's name. Amen. 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 Alright guys, so. This is a big weekend. You guys have been hearing about it for a while. How many of you guys right now are... In a position where you feel like you're trying to make a decision this weekend or in the near future, raise a hand. How many of you guys? Can I have like two of you guys share about how you're feeling about how how you're trying to go all in and all this stuff? Anybody want to share about that, how they're feeling about Yeah.
1: Oh.
2: Yeah, so what what have you been learning? What is it, What does it look
0: like for you trying to go all in?
2: I'm um, actually pretty new. So I'd say two months ago, Grant got me out for my first TNL at Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I really started to meet um, all these different disciples. And I can just tell that the like, relationship with all of them is so much different. Um, so much more real, uh, real love, real care. Um, and that kind of having me going out more and more. And uh, you feel way more free mm-hmm. with Jesus you in your life and when you're living for Him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited to die for myself. That's good. Yeah. I died for myself. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Is there one more person I want to share about maybe they're in a similar situation? Yeah. I'm in the same exact situation. <laughs> yeah. 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 How's it look like for you recently going through all this stuff? So, it was meeting with someone, looking through the Bible, just seeing how before. Exactly. I appreciate you guys
0: sharing. I'm excited for you guys. But yeah, so our title today is All In and When I think of all in, I think of the game poker. You know what I mean? You're going to have to go all in. But it's a risky decision, but you're only going to go all in when you're confident that you're going to win the hand. You're not really just going to throw it all out there when you you, you don't have anything. So it's risky, yes, but we're asked to go all in for Jesus. And I think that can be scary and that can be risky. But we're going to look at how Jesus went all in for us. And we can look at his example about how he went all in and how we can follow that example of going all in for him. Let's turn to Matthew 28.
2: Come on, Harris. So
0: as you guys are turning there, I just want to share a little bit about myself. So I grew up going to church, I mean, ever since I was born. I mean, I, I, I've always been going to church. I've been going to retreats. I've been going to Bible school. I've been going to Bible studies, Sunday school, everything. Wednesday night dinners. I've been, I mean, I was at church three or four days a week my entire life. But the thing about it is I, I really wasn't sure or confident about my salvation. I was taught, you know, I was baptized when I was a baby. I believed in God when I was about seven years old. I prayed Jesus into my heart when I was about eight years old. Uh, I was confirmed when I was 12. But all of those situations, I really never felt confident in where I stood with God. I found myself questioning, you know, what, what is Jesus' plan? What is Jesus' plan for my life? Because I really haven't seen it. People have told me this or told me that, but I really haven't seen Where is my plan in the Bible? What does Jesus say about me? What am I supposed to do? Um, And so once I found my plan in the Bible, I went all in. It was obvious and it was clear that Jesus had a plan for me and he has a plan for every single one of you guys. And so we need to see what Jesus' plan is. And it's your decision if you're going to be willing to go all in or not. So let's look here in Matthew 28. So Christianity really hadn't begun when Jesus was on earth. When Jesus was on Earth, he was a Jew, and Jesus goes around, you know, forgiving people's sins. He sees faith in people. He's healing people. He's forgiving people. He's he's almost like Oprah, you know. You get your sins forgiven. You get your sins. You're healed. Like Jesus was doing whatever he wanted. You know what I mean? There was really there was no clear system. How do I get reconciled to God? Jesus was just going around and he was spreading his message. Um, and so, what we're about to read is Jesus has just died and rose from the dead. This is Jesus' last words, Matthew 28 18. Do you think your last words would be pretty important? Yeah. So, this is Jesus' last words to the ones he loves the most, his disciples. And so, this is where we see Jesus' mission. In verse 18, it says Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. So reading this, this is Jesus' Jesus plan. I'm sure 90% of you guys have read this at some point. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. That's the first step. Can someone tell me, what a disciple is what is a characteristic of a disciple what does jesus say you have to do to become a disciple the shout it out who can yeah out uh,
2: deny yourself
0: deny yourself
1: take up
2: your cross
0: in up your cross yeah. bear fruit bear fruit
2: follow his teachings
0: follow his teachings make other disciples
2: hate your father and mother and your yeah. <laughs> this
0: Exactly. These are things Jesus says about being a disciple in Luke 14, Luke 9. He talks all about you must do these things to become my disciple. You must hate your father, mother, even your own life. He doesn't mean actually hate them, but he means you have to love me so much more than them. Then it looks like you hate everybody else. Um, He says that he says, carry your cross. We're going to look at what the cross meant to Jesus later. I think I think it meant a lot to him What the cross, what the cross was. We had to give up everything. Right. Just cherry on top. We have to give up everything. Right. Yeah. You, can't, you can't be my disciple, Jesus says, unless you give up everything. Right. So this is, a, this is a tough decision. You, know? you have to go all in. Jesus doesn't want someone who's half in. Right. Multiple times Jesus went to the crowds and had a challenging sermon and he knew he was going to weed out a majority of the crowd because he was like, I know all of you are not all in. I only want the ones who are all in.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And it's up to you to whether or not you're going to be all in.
2: Right.
0: And so we have this thing: Make disciples. So at some point, we have to be made into a disciple. Yeah. At some point, we need to be taught the scriptures, like Luke 14 and Luke 9, of how we can be made into a disciple. So someone has to teach us. Yeah. We need people helping us get to discipleship.
2: Right.
0: Because on our own, it, it, it's... It gets messy and it gets... Satan, Satan likes to work his way in there when we're all by ourselves and we don't have someone to talk to. And then he says, get baptized. Simply get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Get baptized and then teach to obey the Scriptures. So, after you get baptized, it's not like you're, you're home free. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, you have to obey the Scriptures.
2: Right.
0: Not just learn the Scriptures, you have to obey them. And one thing that... I want you guys to realize here is, when he says disciples, that's basically another word for repentance. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you have locked eyes on exactly what Jesus wants. And you're going to live your life just like Jesus did. I mean, that's the definition of a disciple. Right. You're going to do exactly what Jesus did and exactly what he taught you to do. And Repentance is, you know, I'm no longer going to walk Harrison's way, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk Jesus' way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And
0: so repentance and discipleship you might hear them throughout this lesson. You can see them one and the same. If you're not repenting, you're not going to be a disciple. And disciples have to repent. So when you see one of these words, it's one and the same. So you have to repent. You have to be made into a disciple. We can wince at the fact that we need to change. That something might be off about us or off about our beliefs or, or whatever. Because we want to be independent. and We don't want to be put into a mold. We don't want to be told what to do. But... Jesus is saying, you have to be my disciple. You have to change. You have to change. We have to be humble like Jordan was talking about last night. If we're never willing to change, if we're not humble enough to realize we need to change, we're going to be the same person for the rest of our lives and we're going to be on the decline. Because if we're not changing for the good, we're definitely moving in the wrong direction. And so, I was baptized as a baby. It says get baptized, but first you have to be a disciple. It says... Make disciples and then baptize them. I was baptized when I was a baby. Zero percent chance I was a disciple. (laughs) Six months or whatever it was when I was baptized. You have to have faith. You have to have a a, a repentance. I had nothing to repent of. I was six months old. If you've seen the little kids running around the campus, you know know, there's no sin in their lives. They're just babies. And so I knew my baptism. My baptism, I I had no idea what it meant. And then obey everything. It's not just a belief. But it's an action. You have to obey. And I don't think we like the word obey, but Jesus is telling this for our own good, just like our parents have. You need to obey these guidelines, because if you do, you will keep yourself in harm's way. Uh, Let's let's go over to Acts 8 and look at someone who who did it Jesus' way. And that's what I want you guys to think of. It's in Acts 8.26. I want you guys to keep in mind What's Jesus' mission? Is, is Jesus' mission being carried out? Come on, bro. So Acts eight twenty six. Some of you have probably heard this before. But in verse 26 it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the candidate, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home he was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So we have two characters in this story. We have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is a disciple of Jesus, and he has already heard Jesus' mission. He knows Jesus' mission. He's willing to die for Jesus' mission, so he's not going to make up anything. He's going to live exactly the way Jesus told him to, and he's trying to go make other disciples. Once you've been made into a disciple, you're now a disciple, and now the calling is for you to go make other disciples. It's a chain reaction. I mean, imagine if we had never, the, the lineage of Christianity had never made it to us. What would we be doing? Look at how the, the word has spread across the word, world from just one man.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And so we have to go out and make other disciples. Aren't you guys grateful that you're yeah, here? Awesome. Yeah. 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 Aren't you guys grateful for the people that are helping you? Yeah. And so we have, we have to carry out this mission that Jesus has given us. So Philip is on this mission. He's, he, he's gotten an instruction straight from the angel of the Lord. Go to this desert road, this random road. And then he sees this guy in a chariot, an Ethiopian eunuch who is... You know, the treasure for the queen of the Ethiopians. This guy is extremely important. He, I mean, he has every right to be prideful. I mean, this guy, when you think of, like, the guy, this guy is it. He is, like, the Fortune 200 company. He is, like, the CEO. He is the guy people aspire to be. I mean, he's handling all the money in Ethiopia. This man is powerful. So we would expect this guy to be prideful. But this guy's seeking God. We, we see it. He's going to Jerusalem to worship. He's very religious. This is not a normal trip for someone to take of his stature. And so he's in this chariot ride. And, and let's continue reading. So then, in verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So, I mean, uh, a modern day chariot. I mean, a Rolls Royce. I mean, uh, whatever we want. You know what I mean? This uh, 2019 Suburban just decked out. $200,000, whatever. This is like, this is the pinnacle of what you want to be riding around in. I mean, Philip's walking around. His feet are dusty. He's He's gross looking. I mean, imagine if you were in downtown Atlanta, downtown, wherever you were. And you're Rolls Royce. And some homeless guy comes up to your window. And you're like, why is the light red right now? Like, why is it, why is it red? And you have your Bible in your passenger seat. And the guy knocks on the window. He's not asking for money. He's not doing anything like that. But he says, hey, I, see, I see you have the Bible in your right next to you. Do you, know, do you know what you're learning right now? Do you, do you even understand what you're reading? What would our response be?
2: Right.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Honestly. Like, honestly. Right. Yeah.
1: What, <laughs> what, what, yeah, what, what, what would your response be? You got,
0: well, well, I'm, I'm obviously blessed by God because don't you see what I have and what, what you don't have? I mean, God must, he must be turning his face away from you. And so, I mean, that could be some of our responses. I mean, even if it's someone of equal stature to us, we can even be prideful. You know what I mean? Or someone from above us. But the Ethiopian, he invites Philip into his chariot as he's going home. And Philip is willing to sit there and read the scriptures with him. And so, how many of us would be willing to let this guy who's dusty and gross, sweaty, go sit down on that nice leather in our car. And just peel open the pages of the Bible as you're just... You know, I've been reading this my whole life. I think I know what it's talking about. You know what I mean? Would we be humble enough to let this guy help us? (laughs) And so, as we read along, it says... You know, had, or, uh, the, the eunuch has a question about, you know, how can I understand? How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? The eunuch understands that he needs help. Right. Yeah. And so here's this guy that we assume is prideful, but he is extremely humble. And he goes, How on earth can I understand it? The scripture's right in front of me, but how, how can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? We've been really blessed to grow up in a place where, you know, Christianity is pretty prominent in the world, and we hear it. Most of us have heard it our whole lives. So stuff like this, we go, oh yeah, John 3:16, we know all this stuff. You know, we know, we know, We know the scriptures. But the eunuch, he might not have been as familiar with the scriptures. He has the book of Isaiah, which back then would have cost like $50,000 just to have the book of Isaiah. So he was invested to his relationship with God, but he still didn't even understand what he was reading. Um, he was asking for help. How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. He's pleading with Philip. Please tell me who he's talking about. Please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Do you guys know who the prophet Isaiah is talking about? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? Do you guys know? Him? Someone else. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus walked on earth, prophesying exactly how Jesus would live his life. Verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, knew. he was willing to help. He was trying to make another disciple. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And they, he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went away rejoicing.
2: Amen.
0: And I think this is incredible. This is a guy who didn't even know what Isaiah was talking about. But now he's wanting to get baptized. Right. Wow. So somehow, in the good news about Jesus, Philip talked to him about getting baptized. Right. I mean, this is a guy who would have had no, I mean, no idea about baptism yeah. if he didn't know what Isaiah was talking about right here. And so somewhere in this chariot ride, which you guys are kind of in a chariot ride right now. You're trying to figure out, okay, you know, what is the Scripture talking about? What did Jesus do for me? What is the good news about Jesus and how can I respond? yeah. yeah. And so, in this chariot ride, he obviously talked about Jesus, and he, he gave him Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is to go and make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey. And he goes, okay, you, you've, just, you've just helped me become a disciple. I, I, I'm already repenting of my, of my sin. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm trying to worship God. I'm investing my money in this, this scroll. What else can I do? Okay, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? I'd be baptized right now? Oh, it looks like there's water. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And so the eunuch is fired up. He sees the urgency. He doesn't think it's just, you know, something to do, something religious to do. Why on earth would he get baptized in the middle of the desert? I mean, he's going to be soggy the rest of the way to Ethiopia. I mean, really, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he wait till he gets to his, you know... The fountain of whatever in Ethiopia with all this money. Why wouldn't he wait until he gets there? But he, he wants to get baptized on the road right now because he doesn't know what's ahead. And so, it, it, it honestly, this story doesn't make sense because it, the timing is too perfect. It's too perfect. Philip is wandering on a desert road, sees this random guy in a chariot. This random guy just is willing to be humble. This guy is willing to teach him. And then he's not only reading Isaiah, he's reading a part of Isaiah that's talking about Jesus.
2: Right.
0: I think Amen. God works in amazing ways with perfect timing. Right. Yeah. I think all of you guys have had perfect timing just to be here.
1: Right. You know,
0: I think God wanted you here to hear these words. And I pray that only the truth is spoken at this retreat. I don't want anything other than the truth to be spoken here. Amen. Amen. So that's why I'm glad you guys are here. That's
2: right.
0: And so perfect timing, I mean, there's probably times that you can think, some random guy invited me out to this, some whatever, you know, this scripture cut me this way. I mean, perfect timing is happening throughout our entire lives. But sometimes the perfect timing happens and we don't respond because we don't have the heart soft enough to respond. So we don't know how many times perfect timing has already happened, but we were prideful when we should have been humble. So let's look at that scripture in Isaiah that um, the eunuch was reading. We're going to go to Isaiah 52. I mean, this is straight from the Bible that the eunuch was reading. This isn't some scroll that perhaps was about Jesus or whatever. I mean, this is right here in our Bibles. Thankfully, we have the ability to have a Bible with all the books in the Bible for you know $0 on our phone or $15 from a bookstore. So we're going to start in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Keep in mind, like I said before, 700 years before Jesus came. And I think you're going to, if you haven't read this before, or if you didn't realize what it meant, you're going to see how literally every single passage is identical to what Jesus' life looked like on earth. Verse 13, Isaiah 52. See my servant will act wisely He will be raised and lifted up And highly exalted Just as there were many Who were appalled at him His appearance was so disfigured Beyond that of any human being And his form marred Beyond human likeness Do you guys know what marred means? Marred means you have been a martyr Which means if you're a martyr You have died for your cause Jesus died for his cause. He was marred. He was marred in fact so badly that you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. He was just a sack of flesh on the ground by the time it was all over. If you would have walked by him on the side of the road, you'd go, Is that a is that a deer that got hit by a car or is that a human being? You couldn't even recognize that he was a human being by the way that he was killed. And this is the king of the universe we're talking about. This isn't Joe Schmill, And even if it was, that's terrible. This is the king of the universe. And this isn't the king of the universe that we don't really care about. This is, this is the king of the universe that we'll root for forever.
2: Right.
0: With everything that we have, this is the king of the universe. Even if you don't accept him as the king of the universe, I'm sorry, this, this still applies to you. Verse 15, it says, So he will sprinkle many nations... And the kings will shut their mouths because of him. I think I always read this and I go, the kings will shut their mouths. Okay, I don't really know what a king is, to be honest. There's really no kings left on earth anymore. But, I mean, think of the the elect in the world right now. Whether it be, you know, stars on TV or people in power over countries. The people that you always see on Instagram that are always running their mouths. Their mouths will be shut. They won't have one more word to say because of him. When they see the truth, they won't have one more word to say. I mean, what if Jesus came back right now? This second. I mean, right this second. Right now. And we just hear whatever the rapture sound is going to be. Jesus is coming down. In that moment, wouldn't you realize that every other thing that you're doing right now doesn't matter at all? Everything. I mean, I've said this to myself and I've meditated on this. But really, I mean, nothing matters. Right. You know, your job interview, your schoolwork, you're failing a grade, you have a 4.0, you're getting the best job, whatever. N- none, none of it matters. Right. Nothing matters. When that happens, you'll realize there's no turning back. Right. Yeah. It has already been decided. Jesus is a thief in the night. And I think when we say that, we don't realize how sneaky a thief in the night really is. Right. We got, you know, we got security systems. We got a, No. Jesus is going to come, and there's no stopping him. Right. And we should want Jesus to come. Right. Yeah. So, if you're not reconciled with Jesus right now, I mean, you want to because you want to see the kingdom come. Amen. Yeah. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? Into whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Jesus, Jesus looked like an average dude. He wasn't like 6, seven. He wasn't muscular. He was just a normal looking dude. There was nothing about his figure that would have made us want to follow him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. The same guy that helped form us was despised and rejected by us. And this isn't just the people 700 years before Jesus. This is us. I hope you see yourself in the scriptures. Amen. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. It was our pain and our suffering. We're about to look in depth at the cross. Everything that Jesus went through is the pain that we should be feeling. It it was our pain. Sin causes pain. The sin that was being done to Jesus on the cross, not just physical pain was happening right there. There's pain that, that, that went from generations to generations. Sin has consequences. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He was crushed. He was marred beyond that of you know, any human likeness. He was crushed. When you crush something, you crush bugs under your feet. He was crushed. He wasn't just crucified. He was crushed. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us has to repent.
2: Each
0: of us has gone our own way. Each of us has to repent. We all need to become disciples. And the Lord has laid laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he did not do though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. But that's what the religious elite were crucifying him for. Yeah. Because they thought he was a liar. They were tearing their hair out because they are like, you're a liar. You're lying. Was Jesus a liar? We know that Jesus is perfect. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. To cause him to suffer. When I read that, sometimes I'm like, jeez. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It was the Lord's will to crush him. God, that's, that's brutal.
2: Yeah.
0: Why, why on earth would that be your will? Why would you want that to happen to your son? But then I think the only reason that had to be done is Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: In the Old Testament, it talks about you have to kill the perfect animal for you know, forgiveness of your sins. And you have to keep doing it and doing it because that sacrifice only lasts a little bit. But Jesus' sacrifice was so huge that it's going to last forever. That doesn't mean once we're born we have the forgiveness of our sins and we're already disciples and all this stuff. We still have to reach out and we have to accept that gift that's been given to us that we don't deserve. That's why it was the Lord's will to crush him because he was the perfect sacrifice. I don't think, I mean, we know this. God didn't enjoy the crucifixion. Not in in the slightest did he enjoy the crucifixion. But he knew that it was the only way for us to get reconciled to him. And so he was willing to crush his son Mm -hmm. in the most painful and inhumane way possible. Because that was the only way that we could know him.
2: Mm.
0: Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring prolong his days and he will and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Let's turn over to Matthew twenty six. Amen, bro. So we're about to look at, you know, the what the cross looks like for Jesus. Jesus said, you know, you gotta carry your cross. And I think to us, that's kind of like, okay, do I just wear a cross necklace and, and I'm carrying my little cross, you know, that weighs like one ounce. Am I doing that? Is that enough? Am I carrying it? I'm showing the people in public, you know, that I have, I have my cross on. I, I'm with you, God. I don't think that's what the cross meant to Jesus. We're about to see what the cross really meant to Jesus. So when he says the cross, we can't take it lightly when he says carry your cross. That's when we'll realize what true denial looks like and giving up everything looks like. Matthew 26, verse 36. When Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. When he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. This is right before Jesus is even arrested. No one has even laid a finger on Jesus yet, but he has so much sorrow. He's so sorrowful he could die. And I don't think Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him, but I think he knew it was going to be terrible. He knew it was going to be unbearable. He knew it was coming. And he says, can you, can you guys just stay here and keep watch with me? Talking to his best friends, can you just be here with me? Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And what do we talk about in Isaiah? It was God's will. To crush him. Jesus didn't want to do it. Jesus wanted to forgive everybody's sins. But he really... He, I mean... If there was any other way, Jesus wanted it to be the other way. If there's, can I just be the king of, the, of earth? And just... Can I stay here? and can, can we figure something out that way, God? I mean, I don't know, God. What is there anything else? Can, can anything else be done? Because I don't want to go through this is a son crying out to his father. He didn't want to do it, but he decided to go all in. And he wasn't doing it for us. There was no I mean, there was no point for him to do this for himself. There's no point. And so he was risking it all. Just like in poker, when you're going all in, you're risking, you're risking a loss right here. Jesus Jesus decides, okay, you know what? The best plan is for me to die and go into heaven and leave it up to you guys. I'm no longer going to be on earth. I'm going to trust you guys that my mission of making disciples, baptizing them, and continue to teach them a little bit. I trust you guys that that will continue. That's risky. I don't think Jesus knew everything that was about to happen. Jesus was a human being. I think we can forget that. Jesus was just like one of us. He was tempted like us. He would walk out those doors and he would be cold just like each one of us. He was going to feel the pain. Jesus' why was bigger. Is your why bigger? Jesus' why was, I want these people to be able to live with me in heaven for the rest of my life. I want to forgive these people. I want to show mercy on them. Even though they don't deserve mercy... I, I want to be with Alex for the rest of my life. I want to be with Cody for the rest of my life. I want to be with Jordan. I want to be with Diamond for the rest of my life. I want to be with all of these people for the rest of my life. I know they don't deserve it. I know they've trampled over the law. I know they've trampled on my blood. I know it. But I, I want to live with them. I, I want to see them repent. I want to see them change their hearts and walk towards me. And if they do that I want to live with them for the rest of my life. What's, what, what's stopping? I mean what's our why? Is it just to look good for our parents? Is it, I mean, that why, oh my gosh, that why will not last.
2: Right. Your why
0: has to be bigger
2: right.
0: than any of the difficult decisions you have to, to face to go all in.
2: Yeah.
0: Is it, you know, I, I just want to look good for my friends. I, I, I want to, you know, I want to go to church and get a girlfriend. I want to, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't care what your why is. But if it's not because I want to, I want to go all in and I want to be a part of Jesus' mission. I want to help people, other people do this as well you will never last. If Jesus is not at the center of your life, it it won't last. And so right here in, uh, just a little bit further, it says in verse 52, the people are are coming here to arrest Jesus, and the Jews are coming, and um, Peter, one of his disciples, that I'm sure all you guys know about, cuts off the ear of one of the, uh, you know, the, the priest's men. And so, Right here in verse 52, Jesus is responding. He says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to them. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. But do you think I cannot call my father and he will put at once at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? I mean, you don't think Jesus thought through this? Right. Joseph, Jesus had an. Uh, uh, he knew the escape plan. He could. He could call. Uh, you know, seventy-two thousand angels is what it would be because each legion is six thousand. That was a term they used back then in the military for a legion of soldiers was six thousand soldiers. Seventy-two thousand angels could come from heaven, and and God would God would allow it. He says, Do "You not think I have." I cannot call my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. I think if Jesus would have said, "It's enough," and I can't do it, God would have allowed that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jesus had a choice.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the crazy thing. Jesus wasn't a Superman. He, he he wasn't. He had a choice. He could have walked away at any moment. Yeah. But the price was that all of us would have been doomed. And so he wasn't thinking about himself once. He wasn't thinking about himself once. For the next 24 hours. On earth that he has. Do you think he knew what was at stake? He knew the scriptures. He knew Isaiah. He knew exactly what had been prophesied about him. And it didn't say. Isaiah doesn't say. And then he will call down. Well you know. Legions of angels. And then, and then destroy the earth. And then you know, people will. Re- no. He knows what it says. He has to be marred beyond human likeness. I don't even think Jesus knew what was coming, but he knew those were the adjectives used to what he was going to look like. How easily could we have talked ourselves out of something like that? I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. God, if it's not your way, I just don't feel like it's God's will. I, I just don't want to do it. You know, we could have talked ourselves out of that like in an instant. Jesus didn't let himself pray out of it, talk his way out of it. Jesus went after it wholeheartedly. Jesus had a choice. So now he goes in front of the Sanhedrin. We're not going to read it, but just, you know, even further in Isaiah, uh, or uh, Matthew 26, it's, it's talking about Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. He's brought to the Jewish leaders in the middle of the night to be tried illegally by the religious elite. He was framed. He was lied about. He was killed for the, the man he claimed to be, and he was telling the truth. How frustrating is it when you're telling the truth, but people are just, no, you're a liar. I know you are. What can you say? Jesus shut his mouth because he knew, you know, I'm not going to say anything. This is what's been prophesied about me. I'm not even going to defend myself because I know these people won't listen. And that's just not the way that God's going to. do. I I can't talk myself out of this because that's just not what God wants for me. He was willing to make the hard decision even though he didn't want to. But he knew it was God's will. So let's look over in Matthew 27. This is, you know, the Jews couldn't kill. Matthew 27, verse 22. The Jews couldn't kill Jesus. They couldn't crucify him. They were under Roman rule. So they had to, they had their own set of courts. They tried Jesus. Okay, they're ripping their clothes because Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. And they're like, okay, this guy's obviously insane. He's a blasphemer. I mean, this guy needs to be killed. And he needs to be made an example of so no one ever does this again. So let's take him to the Romans because the Romans, they're the ones that can kill this guy, and I mean, they'll torture him to death. So, I mean, let's just take it to him and, and, and let, them, let them deal with it. So, Pilate is a Roman, a Roman emperor, governor, and he's, he's there, and he's, Jesus is standing there with, with Pilate. I mean, Jesus by this point is already dehydrated, beaten, bruised, spit on by the Jewish religious elite. In the day, he was, I mean, when they were in court with him, I mean, they were, they were putting bags over his head and punching him and saying, Prophesy, who hit you? Humiliating him in front of everybody who he had been preaching to. And he goes, I, what have I done? What have I done to deserve this? So Pilate here in verse 22, it says, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Messiah, Pilate asked? They all answered, crucify him. Why? Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. Here's a Pilate who really doesn't care about justice. I mean, who, who cares about this Jesus that these, you know, these Jews have brought to me? But even Pilate's going, oh, I, I don't understand why you guys are so infuriated with this man. I mean, w- what has he done? I, I, no one can bring one true accusation against him. I don't, under, I don't understand. Can you help me to understand? And they just say, crucify him. They, they have no truth against him. They just say, Crucifying. <laughs> and so uh, verse twenty three said, so Why? What crime has he committed? I asked Pilate. But they shouted all crucify crucifying. When Pilate saw what he was getting, that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting. He took the water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. That's a bold statement. But praise God, Jesus' blood is covering our sins. And so Pilate here, Pilate has the authority to go, no, this man is not going to be crucified. He won't be. But Pilate sees the crowds coming up against him and, and, and rioting, and he's like, okay, you know what? What's... I know the wrong thing to do is let this guy crucify him. My wife." Two verses earlier says, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. Jesus, I just had a dream, a vision about, don't have anything to do with this guy. He's innocent. Don't. But the crowds are rioting. The crowds are, I mean, the crowds are breathing fire. And he's going, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. And I don't want the other Roman governors to see that I'm doing a bad job. And I can't even control these religious people. Okay, have him. Whatever. I'm I'm washing my hands of this because uh, I disagree. But you know what, you can take him because... You guys are crazy and you're going to tear down this, this palace or whatever. Go do what you want. And so, Pilate does not act in a just way. Right there. And I think we can be like, what? I mean, come on. Like, don't you see Jesus is innocent and all this stuff? I mean, we are extremely unjust in the way we live. I mean, the whole reason we're talking right now is because we, we're sinful human beings. Right it wasn't Pilate that put him on the cross. Pilate even says, You know what? Don't you want to talk to me with some respect? I can get you out of this. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he goes, you, you, you don't know. And so, Jesus here, he's, I mean, we have to realize the sin that's in our lives. If you don't think that you have stuff to change, I have stuff to change. I have mountains of things to change in my life. If you don't think you have things to change in your life, your pride is blinding you and your ears are shut. And everything I've already said at this point is probably in one ear, out the other. And I can't do anything about that. I want the truth to be spoken. I want you guys to hear it. But that's not on me. That's on you. I was standing here, just like Cody said, four years ago. I was in this class and I was realizing my sin. I saw Jesus plan for the first time, like I said. I, I had no confidence in my salvation before this. And I saw Jesus' plan and I went, "Oh my gosh. Wow. That that is the truth. That makes sense. That's why Jesus did it for us. You know, he wasn't he didn't just love us and he just did it. no. There's a story behind it. There's there's feelings, there's emotions, there's things that happened. There's a reason Jesus was doing it. It wasn't just it wasn't make believe. This is real life. I mean, we, we struggle with pornography. We struggle with taking advantage of women, gossiping, lying, being prideful, having sex before marriage. I mean, we, and, and if, you're, if you're not on this list, pride, I think, covers about everything. But even if you're not on this list, you, there, there, there is, I mean, dozens of things that you need to grow in right now. And I pray that you can realize that. Even for the people who have decided to go all in, you have things to change. Open your eyes to what Jesus did for you. So Jesus is even more dehydrated by this point. It's in the middle of the day, and he is dehydrated, beaten, exhausted. And so right here in verse 26, it says, When he was released, then they released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. So after he washes his hands, he goes, you know, go crucify this guy. And he says, you know... The Jews had a thing where they, they said, you know, 40 lashes would kill someone. 40 lashes, you're dead. So they had a you know, we're going we're gonna to lash you 39 times so that you're one whip away from being dead. And that was a Jewish custom. And I think I've, I've learned that a bunch, but I didn't realize it wasn't the Jews who were hitting Jesus. The Jews didn't care about the Roman law. The Jews, or the Romans, were going to do whatever they wanted. The Romans were the ones who were going to crucify Jesus. The Romans weren't going to listen to the Jews. They were just going to hit Jesus until they thought he was about to die. They lost count. He was beat with a flagellum, which is, which is a whip with a handle with straps about this long with metal, uh, iron, rocks, masses in it, on the end so that when it came down, it came down with a with a crash. I mean have you ever been whipped with a towel? I mean I've been hit with a towel so bad that I lost my breath. It hurt so bad. Like getting whipped is no joke. Getting whipped with a towel, I mean it left a well about that big, sure. But I thought that that was as much pain as I could handle. This was a whip with multiple straps. Heavy objects in the straps. Shards of rocks and it was coming down. It wasn't coming down like this. I mean, that would hurt. It was coming down at full force. It was coming down. I mean, this guy was giving everything. WWE style, absolutely. Chair to the back, as hard as he could. Full force into Jesus' back. Full force. Full force. And at, at first, it's tenderizing his, his back. And it's, it's cutting the skin. And I mean, it, I mean, one whip would be unbearable. One, one, one whip would be unbearable. It first cuts the skin, the tissue, and, the, and, and it starts to ooze and blood comes out. The capillary veins burst. The arteries start bleeding from un- the underlying muscles. The hard objects are breaking and tearing through the soft, tenderized tissue. I mean, at that point, you, you, your flesh is exposed to the air. And that alone well, that, that, that alone would, would, would put you into shock. They whip his back, his shoulders, his legs, and I mean, he, he's unrecognizable. By this point, he, 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 you don't even know who is this guy. But, but they're still expecting him to carry his cross, to be crucified on that cross that he's going to carry. His back is torn to ribbons. Once near death, they stopped, and he, got to, he, he was released, and, and then he just laid there in his blood, in the flesh that had been pulled off of him, just laying there on the ground. And if you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ, it, it, it does a pretty good depiction of this. But the one thing that it doesn't say and doesn't do that I think would have been one of the most horrifying parts about it is the screams Jesus would have been having. Yeah. Jesus isn't Superman where he gets shot in the eye and the, the bullet crumples. It's, Jesus was a human being. Any one of us. I mean, the screams, the cries. And he wouldn't have been screaming saying, stop It would have just been him. His body could not go without screaming. His mom was there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was calling for his mom. So now imagine everything after this, everything he does, he's feeling this pain. Let's pick it up here in Matthew 27, verse 27. It says, So once he was flogged and beaten, the soldiers, it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head and put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him, hailed King of the Jews. They spit on him, took the staff, and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the rope and put on his old clothes on him and led him away. Going through this and being with your loved ones would be hard enough, but he's getting taken back to the Praetorium, which is basically a locker room. By this point, it's completely illegal. The Jews don't even say to do this. This is the Romans just completely humiliating Jesus. Putting a robe on him, taking his clothes off, giving him a staff. And there's Jesus, probably just—I mean, just shaking. he, he probably—I mean, I'm mean, just sitting on the ground, just—he—he he can't even speak at this point. And then they get these thorns, and oh, you know what would be funny? Let's just let's just pound this into his head. It says they spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him in the head again and again with a staff. I mean, a baseball bat, just in the head. ha. Uh, King of the Jews. I mean, don't you think they were probably hitting that crown deeper into his skull every time? I was out here in the thorns the other day, and I was like, oh, I get a little scratch. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, these, these thorns are this big. And in your head, it has so many blood, veins, whatever, that once, once that happens, I mean, the blood loss enough, well, he's going to die. I mean, he, he, he's already, he's a dead man walking at this point. I mean, blood is coming down his face and his eyes and his nose. In his mouth, I mean, the sweat dripping down in his back into his wounds. I mean, he can't, he can't do anything. He can't do anything about it. And about by this time, he's just like, uh what, what more, what more do you want from me? And so they forced him to carry. Oh, oh yeah, this this part, this part gets me. So you know, it says that they they mocked him and they took off the robe. Imagine having a robe on. All of these fresh wounds. And then someone just ripping them off. Have you ever had, had a cut on your foot or something? You put your sock on and it's like, oh, oh no. Oh no, oh no. And you rip it off and it's like the most painful thing that you can ever imagine. Or putting a band-aid on the wound and opening it or whatever. I mean, that is his entire back. And that's, I mean, his ribs are exposed. And he's, they're reopening it like a band-aid. And all they're doing. he's probably sitting around the there and going, it on. Forced to carry a 110-pound plank on his back, 650 yards. Resting on his wounds. It was just the crossbar. Resting on his shoulders. And by this point, it's this rough wood plank that's resting on his shoulders. There's no way he can can bear that. And he can't. So this guy, Simon, who's walking through the streets, helps him carry it. I mean, this is how... If Jesus would have been able to carry it, he would have. But Jesus could no longer physically do it. Right. Dehydration, blood loss. I mean, he was, he was toast. Once he got up to the place where he was going to be crucified, they swiftly lay him on the cross, put him in a position like this, driving the rough nails. I mean, we're, we're used to nails that are pointy on the end and, like, you know, really efficient for getting in wood. I mean,. Uh, The size of the nail would have probably been that big. Not even a pointy end. Going straight through his wrists. And have you guys ever felt the nerves and all that stuff in your wrists? Has someone ever just done that as a pressure point? I mean, a nail, a rod being driven through your wrists. And then they put his feet up like this. One on top of the other. Just spiking his feet into the cross. He's up on the cross. And now the only thing holding him up is... The nails in his body. I mean, he is physically nailed to something. Have you ever hit your hit your uh, your hand with a hammer on accident? I mean, imagine actually having a rod, three rods driven through you. And they left room for him to. He wasn't spread out super like this. He was he was more like this because you know the real way that you die on a on a cross is you suffocate. Because you can't breathe. None of us know the feeling because we've never been strung up on a cross. But when the only thing holding you up is your arms, that starts to clog your, your, your lung passageways. Your muscles start to... You can't breathe. You can inhale, but you can't exhale. And so, the way of the... I mean, the crucifixion, it's, it's a genius way of killing someone because it is the most painful and inhumane way to have someone go.
2: Yeah.
0: And so he's sitting there cramping, exhaustion, blood loss. I mean, and every time he's breathing, he's rubbing his back up and down that cross. Every breath, I mean, every single breath. It's just a matter of time until he dies. And Jesus, till the very end, he's saying, you know, he's he's fulfilling prophecies about him, saying certain words, all this stuff. He's, He's doing it till the very end. He wants his mother to be taken care of. Jesus knew God's plan. He knew it. The people were saying, Hey, come down we'll believe in you. Just come down. Come down from the cross. You saved so many of you for many. So- come down from the cross and then I'll believe in you. And Jesus is going, I-, I could do exactly that, but you're not even the people I want you to believe in me. How frustrating that would be. Gosh. He could have killed everyone there. He, I mean, at any moment, he could have been healed and he could have, he could have called on God, this is too much. Right. These people are too wicked. Why are we even trying to save these people? Right. Wow. Why am I talking about this? Because he was crushed for our sin. Yeah, yeah. That was us. That should have been us. Yeah. That should have been each one of us strung up on that cross.
2: Yeah.
0: That's why I want to talk about it. Because if we don't remember what was done for us, then we're never going to change. If the cross is not the center of your life, you're not going all in. If your why is not, Jesus did this for me, and I want to help other people realize it, you're not going to last. Your why, the cross has to be at the center of your life. Every morning, every temptation you feel... The cross is going to be the only thing to help you stop. To really stop. Right. And we shouldn't be wanting to tiptoe the line of sin. Are you kidding me? Why would we want to be... Oh, oh, oh. I'm not really sinning, but I'm... Why do we even want to play around with that? Let's go over to Acts 2. I know I'm going long. I'll speed it up right here. But guys... Jesus paid the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice for us, and I mean, it's only right that we respond. But we have to respond in the right way. Acts two thirty two. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Praise God. Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, there's no conversation right now. Praise God. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Unfortunately, the English language doesn't do this verse justice because it says, The Lord said to my Lord. Sounds a little confusing, but if you look at it, it says, it's really saying, Yahweh said to the Messiah. Yahweh said to my Messiah, Jesus, sit at my right hand. David, who we've been learning about all weekend, we're going to learn more about. I mean, generation. I mean, Jesus was great 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 grandson But he was still prophesying about the Messiah. And he knew the Messiah would come come and raise from the dead. Praise God. So here's Peter talking. Peter, a guy who was there in Matthew 28 when Jesus was giving his last commands. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Acts 2. I mean, this is recent after Jesus has risen from the dead. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this: God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's not talking to the or the Romans who nailed him to the cross. He's saying, "No, you all crucified him." That's the reality of it. We've all crucified Jesus. We've all sinned, even if it was just one of us. Jesus would have done it. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Are you guys cut to the heart? And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? These people were ready to repent. These people were on the way to repentance. And here's Peter, who was there with Jesus when he gave his, his mission. Do you think Peter's going to make something up? Or, you know, I don't really think what Jesus said. No. He's going to say, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent. And be baptized. Be made into a disciple. Be baptized. Remember how we talked about discipleship and repentance. They're synonyms for one another. You have to do one. You have to do them both. If you don't have one, you're not either. Repent. Stop living for yourself. Stop sinning. Change your mind. We can't keep walking our way if we do. I mean... There's no surprise of what will happen. And then he says, be baptized every one of you. Why is this a problem, guys? I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand why this is repent and be baptized every one of you. Why, why is the message in Christianity today not this? I don't think it's Jesus' mission anymore. We can lose sight of what Jesus' mission really is. And he says, why are we doing this? Because we get the forgiveness of your sins and you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Jesus may have risked it, but he knew the Holy Spirit was coming down. He had a plan. Right. So Jesus has given us an opportunity to get our sins forgiven and get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But are we going to take it? We have to repent and be baptized. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I just don't. What? What's the problem? Let's go over to uh, Acts nine. Got a few conversions here. We'll look at and then we'll wrap it up. I mean the eunuch guy. He was urgent. He wanted to get baptized. Is there anything standing in your way right now, just like the unity guy? Is there anything standing in my way? Is there anything standing in you guys' way? Anything you need to repent of? You don't need to be perfect.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Newsflash: Disciples aren't perfect. Right. You ever see Peter? And so, ever see me? Ever see anybody? I mean, seriously, we're not perfect. But you have to change your mind to where sin is no longer like, uh, it's a. I get indignant about this. I'm actually angry at my sin. It shows alarm in my life when I'm sinning. I, I can't do this anymore. Right here in Acts 9 when it says... We're talking about Saul right here who was... I mean, the most elite... Of the religious back in the day. But he didn't believe in Jesus. He believed what the Pharisees thought. And he said, Jesus, you know what? This guy... He's a troublemaker. I actually think I'm doing God's will because I'm going and killing Christians. I mean, they're following this whack job. I need to preserve what God says is true. And so in a way, he, he's, he thinks he's doing it the right way. But he, he's got it off. Meanwhile, verse 1 and Acts 9 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out burning threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues and the masses so that if he found anyone there... Who belonged to the way, belonged to Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Do you think that opened his eyes a little bit? The one man, I mean, Jesus takes it personally. He's saying, Why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting my disciples. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul, in this moment, realized he was dead wrong. Saul could have, you know, gone like, Okay, I'm, I'm freaked out. I'm just not going to do anything at this point. I, I, I give up. I'm not going to kill people. Uh-uh, this is weird. No, he realized he was dead wrong and he was humble. Because I think even if some of us were were to see Jesus right now, we that wouldn't be good enough for us. In the moment, maybe, but two weeks later, no. Twenty years later, no. We're talking about all in. We're talking about the rest of our lives. We're not talking about campus. We're not talking about whatever. We're talking about when you roll over in your 90s, whenever. Maybe you die. You know, this upcoming year. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything. Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And does he have the right to do that? Absolutely he does. Some of us need to realize we're dead wrong. I mean, if anybody had it right, Saul had it right. If anybody had it right, Saul had it right. Saul knew his Bible better than Peter knew his Bible. If anybody had it right, Saul had it right. And he was dead wrong. Some of us are dead wrong. Christianity today is dead wrong. I remember praying Jesus in my heart when I was eight years old, and that's what I was taught. But anytime I was worried or scared or didn't know what was happening in my life, or I prayed Jesus in my heart again and again and again because I was like, okay, I don't believe this is working. I don't feel good about this. I don't see in the scriptures where this is true. I was dead wrong. And I believe with my whole heart that that was the way. No one could have told me otherwise until someone showed me the scriptures. We're dead wrong. And nowhere in the Bible, not once, is someone converted by prayer. So whose way is that? Is that Jesus' way? I don't think so. Is faith included? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without faith, there's nothing. I mean, if you don't have faith, then you're not in this room. You know what I mean? And so I hope a lot of this goes without saying. Faith is the absolute start of it all. If you don't have faith, there's no chance to be reconciled to God. It is the first step. And it's a risk. We don't see Jesus. We have to have faith. Think about it. What am I wrong about when it comes to being a Christian? And so, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but go down to verse um, 17. Basically, Saul goes to Damascus. He's blind, and he has this disciple, Ananias. Ananias. There to help them. And it says, Then Ananias went to the house of the... And entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, He sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, Saul was blind after seeing Jesus. Immediately, something like scales fell from the eyes of Saul and he could see again. He got up and was baptized after talk, taking some food and regaining his strength. Why didn't Jesus just convert him right there on the street? Wow. If anybody could have converted someone to, you know, and I think Jesus could have, and that would have been fine. Yeah. Jesus was there; he can do whatever he wants. But he, he went. You know what? I want to make it clear: this is not my mission right now. Yeah. Okay, so I need to get Ananias. I need him. Okay, I need him to take care of Saul. Even though he was about to go kill Ananias. Okay, I'm going to have him take care of him. And I want this guy to help him get baptized so he can get the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It took him three days to get baptized. And guess what? That's the longest conversion in the Bible. Three days. And so when you're looking in the New Testament, people are making decisions fast. So if you say, ah, I don't know if I can do that. You can't do that. It's just up to you if you're going to do it or not. The pressure is on you. Jesus Jesus has already given us the gift. It's it's up to you 110% if you're going to do it or not. Jesus has already gone all in. He's already been crucified and whipped and bleeding on the ground. He's done it all. He's shown us what it looks like to go all in. So it's up to you guys. Let's go over to Acts 16. There's no resume you guys need to hit. There's no, you just have to let Jesus change your life. You're not going to be perfect, ever. So just let Jesus change your life. Acts 16, verse 22, it says, <clears throat> It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul. So Saul is not Paul, as most of you probably know. His name was changed. So Paul and Silas and the magistrates... And Paul... Guys, this, like I was saying, change the rest of your life. Paul wrote more, like most of the New Testament. This is going to change your life. 22, it says, Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer, who was commanded to guard them carefully, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet. In the socks. He, he was not letting these people get out. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I mean, these guys just got flogged. Singing hymns of God. And other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaking. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone in the chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prisoners' doors open, he threw the, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought, well, oh, the prisoners have escaped, but... Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. I mean, in that moment, Paul was worried about the jailer. He was worried about making disciples. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, this jailer has only seen them for the night. And he goes, yeah, there's there's something different about you. I don't even know who Jesus is at this point. Maybe he does, but obviously I'm not a Jew. I need help. He says, they replied, Believe in in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. They were immediately... Then immediately he had all his household... Him and all his household were baptized. It doesn't. It doesn't have to take long. Right. This guy was ready to kill himself, and he goes, "You know what? You guys didn't even preach anything to me, but your lives preached enough." I think we can think baptism is a symbol, and yeah, I'll get baptized, but it's I just an outward profession of an inner feeling. That's not. Why on earth would the eunuch and the jailer get baptized? eunuch in the desert where no one's around the jailer in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. this is this is not a symbol this is Jesus' plan let's go to our last scripture here Acts 22 Acts 22 12 so, this is Paul, was Saul, not Paul, talking about his conversion. Just like we have conversion stories. Saul, Paul, he was telling his conversion story. So, this is very similar to what we read before in Acts 9. We're going to start in verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see him, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood outside beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment, I was able to see. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has given you, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, washing your sins away, calling on His name. There's not really urgency today about getting baptized. But what... All of these people we've seen today have urgency. That night, in the middle of nowhere, you know, not the most ideal location, didn't have their robes on, whatever. What are you waiting for? Yeah. What are you guys waiting for? Yeah. And I know this isn't going to be the last time the scriptures are opened before you guys get baptized. Or if, if you choose to do that or whatever you guys choose to do. I, I pray that you guys see your need for Jesus. Yeah. See your need for the word. I pray that you can respond and repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit by responding to the cross. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Does your life line up with the scriptures? Don't you want to be fully confident in that? I could never see myself in the scriptures until I read this stuff. And I had to be honest with myself. And now, not one day have I doubted my salvation. I went all in and I know exactly what Jesus' mission is. And you have to be in your Bible to know that. And we see here, everybody is getting converted with someone to help them. You guys, be grateful for the people who are helping you. I think you can be challenged and you can be like, oh, get this person away from me. All of these people, I mean, Paul and Silas, were they not grateful for each other when they were being beaten and then in the cell together? Yeah. Was the eunuch not grateful for Philip? Are you kidding me? Was Saul not happy that Ananias was there to help him? Can we be grateful for the people that were around and who are helping us, helping us become disciples? Can we be humble to that? Even what I just said. Can we be humble? If you're not a disciple, become a disciple. Trust
1: those who are pouring into your life and trying to help you see who the Lord is. That's all I got. Thanks, guys. Amen.